0: everyone. Thank you for the warm welcome. Um, If I haven't met you before, my name's Emma. Um, I work here at South City C3. I'm the worship pastor, so I oversee our worship and our tech teams, Um, and I'm finishing up that role pretty soon, and I'm going to be stepping in for Sarah while she goes on maternity leave. So you'll be seeing a lot more of me in the new year, and I'm very excited about that. Also, my husband is on sound tonight, so if uh, the sound—thank you, Jeremy—but if if the sound randomly goes out, enough of listening. To me. As expected, thank you. That's what almost 12 years of marriage will do. <laughs> All right. I can't believe that we're already here. It's the second week of Advent. Hi, Lucy. <laughs> I'm sure I say this every year, but it just feels like the year has flown by, and I'm sure I say this every year as well, but it just feels like the years just keep rolling on faster and faster and faster and faster and faster. But that being said, here we are on the journey to Christmas, celebrating the birth of Jesus. So last week, Josh opened our Advent series for us, When Hope Was Born, sharing on the promise of hope. Josh took us on a bit of a journey across the Old Testament looking at prophecies around Jesus and his birth. And this was all tied to the underlying promise that we have in the coming of Jesus and that some things are worth waiting for. The hope of the coming King Jesus or pontoon boats. If you missed that, Listen to last week's sermon, Josh will tell you all about the good hope of pontoon boats pontoon boats So for this week we're continuing along this journey of when hope was born, and this week I 'm focusing on the promise of hope born to us. What is it about Jesus 's birth that's so important? So we're going to walk through some of the account of Jesus 's birth in the book of Luke in order to understand a bit more about why some of the details in this smaller chapter of the book, tell us about the bigger story of God and where that leaves us in understanding that the hope that was born in that stable all those years ago is the same hope that has been born in us as followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus' birth as a triumphant king in the tiny body tipped the Jewish social structure upside down, which is a really important part of the bigger picture of the gospel, the, the upside downness of the kingdom of God. But before we get too far ahead of ourselves, let's pray. Father, you're here before us and you're here with us tonight. Lord, we're ready to hear your word and to learn what it is that you have for us. Father, would you let my words fall away and speak your truth here tonight. Lord, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and minds to know your truth and your, good, and your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, before we crack into the story, I've a bit of an object lesson here. Uh, To help illustrate my point, which I wasn't super uh, excited about, I did a a bit of youth ministry in the past, and object lessons are really important in grabbing people's attention. Um, So I fought it for a good day, uh, and the team Taylor really encouraged me to push into it. But anyway. (laughs) Before we dig into the text today, I think it's important we get a little bit of context so we can spot these little moments in the story that we're going to be reading about Jesus' birth, where we can see the upside-downness of of God's kingdom. So in first-century Palestine, society was very class-organized. It had lots of purity systems in place that furthered the divide between those in positions of power and those that were not. The upper class of society was the smallest group, made up of the very wealthy Herods, high priests, rich nobles and the people who owned a majority of the land. The next group were those in the middle class. These were mostly professional people, uh, tradesmen, shopkeepers and educated people like the Pharisees. Next was a majority of the people. These were the peasant class. They were the tenant farmers and the laborers that Jesus refers to in his parables. But we're not done yet. There's an even lower class and all sorts of people belonged in this poor class. The disabled, the widows, orphans, the ill and those with mental health issues. It also included the outcasts. These were people who weren't necessarily materially poor, um, but they were people like the tax collectors who were unclean for various reasons, like illness or their work requirements weren't able to worship in the temples. There were so many other social rules that put religious leaders above others, men before women, the rich ranked over the poor, And those who were in urban areas were above those who lived in farm towns. The married before the unmarried, the healthy over the ill. So many rules in place. And so this was the social structure in place at the time that Jesus was born into. Very few elites, a lot of poor, marginalized and outcast people that formed the majority of the society. A system that was put in place to perpetuate the wealth of those in power those few rulers, and further disadvantaged the poor and marginalized generation upon generation. So last week we had a look at some of the Old Testament scriptures that spoke about the prophecies about Jesus. In Isaiah, we learned that Christ would come to earth, born as a baby, to a young woman who would give birth to him. And even the prophecy in the book of Micah tells us that he'd be born in Bethlehem. So other than to just fulfill these old prophecies, I really wanted to understand more about why it was important that Jesus was born a baby to Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem, just as our story says. So that's the tension I'm hoping to dig into tonight, the birth of the baby Jesus as fully human, but somehow still fully God. The story of a God that loved the world so much that he sent his son to be born as a helpless baby in order that he would give himself over to death for anyone who dared to believe in him. The story of a God who is so vast that all the heavens cannot contain him, yet he chose to wrap himself in flesh and be contained in a mother's womb. Why couldn't have God just come to earth on a cloud as a fully grown human being? Jesus could have skipped all those annoying baby stages of toilet training and teething. But here's the thing. He didn't. And that's a really important piece of understanding the bigger story of the kingdom of God and the way that Jesus' birth tipped everything upside down. So back to our jar the birth of Jesus. The birth of Jesus, that would change everything. He was born to Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem, just as it was prophesied in the Old Testament. And this is one of the clearest examples we have of God's upside-down kingdom A God who doesn't just rescue people from his throne up in heaven, but a God who laid aside his majesty, became fully man, and wore all of the experience that humanity offers. We know that Jesus was despised, scorned, rejected, and betrayed in his lifetime. But in spite of that, he would die a human death for us just so that we can have a right relationship with God? The birth of the baby Jesus changed everything. So let's settle in and dig into the text, and we'll just have a listen to the story as told in the Gospel of Luke. Starting in chapter 1 and verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Let's just hold up here for a few moments. Let's, let's have a closer look at the story here. An angel appears to the young virgin Mary, who is betrothed to be married to Joseph, telling her some good news that she had found favor favor with God, she would conceive a son miraculously, and his name would be Jesus. We don't learn an awful lot about Mary from this text, but a few contextual clues tell us that she was probably in her early teens, as she was yet to be married. And we get a bit of a hint later on in this story uh, when Jesus is dedicated at the temple by his parents, and Mary and Joseph make a poor offering, then they offer a pair of pigeons in place of a lamb, which tells us that they weren't particularly wealthy. So let's think back to our jar. Jesus, the son of God, isn't born into a lineage of wealth and aristocracy. He's born to an unmarried, poor young woman. God's kingdom is turned upside down. So let's pick up our story again in Luke 2, starting in chapter 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all in the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David which is called Bethlehem because he was the house in the lineage of David to be registered with Mary his betrothed who was with child and while they were there the time came for her to give birth and she would give birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in the manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So we jump ahead in time a wee bit in the story here and find a heavily pregnant young Mary and Joseph as they leave Galilee to return to Joseph's ancestral home of Bethlehem for a census. The journey that could have taken the average person about a week to walk. Sarah, do you reckon you could go hiking for a whole week? (laughs) No. So when they got there, it was time for Mary to give birth. Pregnant and laboring with the Son of God, there was no gilded palace, or even a room with walls to give birth in. The son of God is born in a dirty stable, laid in animals feeding trough to sleep. No bamboo swaddles, no white noise machines or merino bassinet blankets. The baby Jesus is laid to sleep on some hay beside some pretty noisy animals in the stable. The kingdom's turned upside down again. So let's read on. In the same region, there were some shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Born unto you this day in the city of David is a saviour, Who is Christ the Lord? And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth among those with whom he is well pleased. So an angel appears to some shepherds tending their flock at night and tells them this great news of the birth of their Saviour. I always wondered a bit about the angels appearing to the shepherds nearby. I guess in my head I'd written it off as, well, these guys were probably just the closest and somebody needed to go and worship Jesus. But they're angels, right? They could have appeared to kings or noble people or the high priests and these ceremonially clean people and they could have come and worshiped Jesus at the temple. But no, it's not what happened. So who, who did the angels appear to? Shepherds. Shepherds. Who, due to their place in society, were out working in a field, unable to keep with, up with the demands of being ceremonially clean and being able to worship in the temples. The shepherds. Who were laboring on the land of the rich and noble landowners. These were the first people to worship the baby Jesus? not a priest with a special blessing, just some ordinary hard workers who are on the outskirts of society who couldn't help but leave their flocks unattended to drop everything, to drop their livelihood, which we know was meager to begin with, to leave it all and worship the newborn king the kingdom's flipped upside down again. Did you notice how many times in that story I turned the jar over? There's so many little details in the story. The story that we know so well that we can just overlook. And when we pay attention, we can find out just how many details the birth of Jesus disrupts. It's really easy to say that the story just played out like this because that's the way that God wrote it in the Old Testament, and that's true, but why is that important? It's important because all of these details highlight the true humanity of Jesus, the Son of God, who could have come to earth as a fully grown adult, coming on clouds of fire, but he didn't. Jesus could have skipped that baby state altogether, but he didn't. He could have been born into wealth and comfort and social security, but he wasn't. So here's what's so mind bogglingly upside down about Jesus' birth. The God of infinite heaven squashed himself down to the most fragile defenseless and helpless of all creation, a human baby, in order to live fully human but somehow fully God, the real demonstration of the upside-downness of the kingdom, the word becoming flesh in order that he may dwell among us. The promise made real in God's kingdom that things will be turned upside down. Wrongs will be made right. Justice will be done. And all of our questions will be answered. Jesus had to come in the flesh in order to die for us all so that we can be reconciled back to God. Hear me on this, friends. This is exactly why the birth of baby Jesus changed everything. Jesus came and lived as a human, subject to the messiness that humanity has to offer. That same messiness and gunk that you and I live in every single day. In his lifetime, Jesus was betrayed and scorned and despised and rejected. And in spite of all that he experienced, he still died in our place so that we could get Back and right relationship with God. He did it for me. He did it for you. And friends, head to it again and again and again if he had to. I don't know about the rest of you, but I'm finding myself in this advent season a little more worn and weary than before. Maybe it's just late-stage capitalism. Maybe it's all the information that we have flooding on all of our rectangles at every hour of the day. War, global unrest, ever-changing politics, or perhaps it's just the limits of my own mortal body making it harder to notice the hope and joy that the Christmas season is truly about. I was complaining to Sarah the other week that not even Christmas music was helping me shed some of this weight of human experience in order to connect with the hope in the Christmas story. I just couldn't throw on Snoopy's Christmas and throw some tinsel around the place and suddenly feel all magical and hopeful about Christmas. But one other song changed things for me. Earlier this week, I was trying to find some songs for our family service this morning, and a song came on that had these lyrics. And the first time that you opened your eyes, did you realize that you would be my savior? And the first breath that left your lips, did you know that it would change this world forever? And that hit me. The weight of humanity, of the baby Jesus in that song. I can't say it's a perspective I've ever thought about before. I found myself sitting in the feeling of the weight of the hope, instead, that there is, that the first time that he opened his eyes, the first breath that left his lips, did he know that he would be my savior? All of a sudden, it didn't really matter that I couldn't sing joy to the world with reckless abandon. It didn't matter that I hadn't put reindeer antlers on my car. Because we worship a God who knows the depth of human experience. We worship a God who knows exactly what it's like to live and bleed and feel in this world. And that's exactly why the story of Jesus is such a powerful story all about hope. It's the upside down, inside out story of a God who ought to have been exalted, choosing instead to humble himself. A God who was born into the dust of the earth with us so that he could restore the hope within us. I wonder what it is that's in my jar. I wonder what shiny things are taking up space in my mind and in my heart. They need to be turned upside down. I wonder if I'm all caught up in the way that things should be, that I'm missing the opportunity to offer them in exchange for what God is saying there could be or what is yet to come, hope. What if I offered all of my sorrows, all of my worries, and all of my Google searches to God instead and ask him to flip them upside down Friends, that's what I'm offering here to you tonight. I'm offering you the space and the opportunity to reflect on these messy, mucky things that are a part of living in this world and to ask God for his hope in exchange. Will you all stand with me? As we come to a close tonight, I want to offer you the opportunity to, to surrender some of these heavy things that might be in your jar and ask him to flip them upside down and to pour out his hope instead. To flip our jars over. To shake up all the ways that things just are and restore a sense of hope as to what could be or the hope of things that are yet to come. If you'd like to, you're welcome to close your eyes and ask God with me to bring to mind some of those things that are filling your jar. Oh God, you're here with us. Help us to see the things that are taking up so much space in our lives, the things that are weighing us down. Help us to see them, God. Maybe God has called something to mind for you, and it's okay if not. But if he has friends, would you offer it up to him? Would you lay it down at his feet? Father, you know what it is that we surrender to you tonight. Those noisy, messy, Heavy things that come as being part of human in this, being a human in this world. The things that you know and feel too. God, we offer these to you. We don't want them taking up space in our jars anymore. God, we ask that you fill these spaces with your hope Father we ask that you pour your hope out to us this evening remind us of the hope that you brought to this world all those years ago as a baby and we look ahead with hope to your return and our restoration to you be with us, Holy Spirit, as we traverse this Advent season. Thank you for all the work you have done here tonight, and you're doing among us, and the work you continue to do. In the mighty name of Jesus.